Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast for Grace Lutheran Church. This is the baptism series for readings in Lent in 2017. So our scripture for today is John chapter 9, and it is the whole chapter, the story of the man born blind. Um, It's musical season here in central Pennsylvania, and some of you know that my husband is a a band director in the area, and so he's always uh, closely involved with the musical productions. And having just um, survived musical season in our household, I was thinking about ways to approach this story and, you know, looking at this story as a six-scene play, it can actually be a helpful way uh, to enter into the story um, and, and get a lot out of it. We've talked a little bit before about um, the Gospels being like novels and having literary devices, and we are going to bring those up in our session for today, but I think it's interesting to look at the whole story of chapter 9 as a play on stage being performed um, and what kind of light that might shed on our ability to draw things out of the story. So that's our approach today. So we're not going to read the whole story at one time. We're going to, if you will, watch each scene unfold and reflect a little bit on each scene. So that'll be our approach. We're going to start with uh, the first kind of scene, um, which begins with Jesus and the blind man. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. So that's the first scene. Um, One of the reasons this play um, in six scenes works so well is because many people have pointed out, uh, commentators, that this story follows the um, protocol for Greek drama um, in that they have no more than two characters on stage at the same time. So uh, there will be a couple more than two characters, but basically two categories of characters in our play. And we open here, our opening scene is Jesus and the blind man. Those are our two characters. And the disciples are, you know, like extras on stage, if you will. Now, they ask a very important question right up front, and this is going to be uh, one of the strong recurring themes throughout the play. The disciples say, okay, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, we might think this is a strange question, but in fact, um, in that day, you know, would have been common thought. There's, a, there's a definitely a strain of Old Testament uh, teaching that sort of follows along with this question, right? Someone sinned, a previous generation, or perhaps this man, that he was born blind. Um, it's one way of understanding brokenness in the world now. This is interesting because the disciples are approaching Jesus with an expected answer, And they're approaching him with what they think they know about how God works in the world, what they think they know about their own religious teaching, right? And then Jesus' answer is very important because right up front in this play, we already have a little bit of a conflict, if you will, in the drama, where Jesus says, it's not either category. 
Jesus is about to describe and then show in the play, there are other ways that God works in the world. There are other ways of understanding what is happening in the world and how God works through them. You know, I love his answer in that, of course, it's not a sin that this man was born blind. Rather, this brokenness was not God's intention. It's an opportunity for the light of the world to be shown through him. And then as the play unfolds, we will see how Jesus, the light of the world, uh, reveals God's light to the man and brings him sight in many and various ways. The other thing that happens in this opening scene is the healing, the healing portion of the story. It's not complete, though. I just want to leave, let you uh, think about that for a minute. It's not complete. He can see. He gets the mud, spreads it on his eyes, tells him to go wash. The man came back able to see. We're not quite sure all that means yet. We only so far would assume that's physical sight, but there is going to be, in fact, throughout our play, other ways of being able to see. Some characters who can and cannot see and has nothing to do with their physical blindness. Um, but his whole healing will not be complete until the very end of our play. So I want to leave that little teaser out there. Okay, our next scene starts in verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it's someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So that's the end of our second scene. And our cast of characters now is the neighbors, those who grew up with the man, live with the man and the blind man. And their conversation is interesting because now that he's able to see, they can no, they no longer recognize him. And you wonder, is that because it's so unbelievable? Could this be the same man? Probably. Is it also maybe because they never saw him to begin with? They just tripped over him on their way to work or whatever. Um, that he sat outside uh, begging for all those years. They just came to see him as a piece of furniture and never actually noticed the man. And it's interesting to think about that in our opening scene, the disciples and Jesus notice the man. They have a conversation about him, but he's not just a piece of furniture. He's not just a conversation piece, right? Jesus stops and takes notice and does something to the man, something that leaves him so changed. He can now no longer go back to the way he was before and he must tell other people about it, as we're going to see as the play unfolds. The neighbors don't recognize him. That's uh, very interesting. Then uh, what's also interesting is the blind man's response to what happened here. He says, this man called Jesus, that's how he's identifying him, right? The man called Jesus. I don't know. They just call him Jesus. I've never seen him before, obviously. He told me to wash. I'm good. I don't know where he is now. I don't really know this guy. So we're going to start there in our drama with the blind man's relationship to Jesus. And we're going to watch how that changes too. Let's look at our third scene in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes. Then I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. 
But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he is a prophet. Okay, and that's the end of our third scene. So the neighbors can't figure out what's happened here. Uh, They can't understand how this man would have received his sight um, and if it's legit. And so they say, let's take him down to the Pharisees. Now, remember from our previous episode, the Pharisees are the religious leadership. They're the clergy, if you will. It's like, well, we don't know if this came from God. We're going to take him down to the clergy and we're going to investigate this further. Then we have a clue in verse 14 that there's a little bit more tension building here. If we've been listening along to the Gospel of John up to this point, we get that line, Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And you think, oh boy, Jesus and the Sabbath, always getting in trouble. And um, in fact, you know, the Pharisees' argument is, well, he doesn't observe the Sabbath, so he can't be from God. This is not the way God works in the world. This is not the teaching that we've been handed down to observe the Sabbath, to follow our laws about work. Um, And then others say, well, but if he was a sinner, how could he actually perform a miracle, a healing, a sign? Um, It's It's interesting. Uh, you may wonder how he violated the Sabbath, and that's making mud. That's That requires kneading, um, like dough, or kneading the mud. That was considered one of 30-some uh, violations of work on the Sabbath. So he does, in fact, violate the Sabbath. But the fact that they're divided about it already stirs up some conflict in our play, right? We're a little bit intrigued of how this is going to shake out, because we have this uh, pattern so far in our play of, The way we think God works at the world, the disciples started us off on that, going down that path, and then the way Jesus is going to work in the world or reveal God at work in the world in a very different way. So now we have the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of all people. See, they're very divided on, is this man from God? Is this God at work in the world? But it doesn't line up with what we think we know about how God works in the world Things like observing the Sabbath, uh, very important. So so how does that line up? And then we have other people who are Pharisees who are saying, but maybe we should look at this a little more closely. So we have a sense of division, and that's going to build um, as we get into the next scene. Then we have the blind man's testimony in this scene. He's gone from the man called Jesus, right, in a previous scene to he's identifying Jesus as a prophet. Okay, let's take our next scene, starting at verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Okay, that's the end of that scene, and we've got some new people introduced on stage. We have the Jews, I'm going to say a word about that in a minute. We have the man's parents, and those are essentially our two characters or character groups. Now, the parents, uh, we hear... Basically, who knows if they were even there? I mean, maybe they're honestly answering, well, we have no idea. 
but we get a kind of a clue at the end of the scene that maybe they know something they're not saying because they're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid of this group that we've been introduced to uh, because they might put them out of the synagogue. Now, a word of caution here, when we hear the phrase, the Jews, especially in the Gospel of John, uh, and we hear it today, uh, read out loud, um, especially in a Christian community, we run a great risk of anti-Semitism, thinking about the Jews down the street um, who worship in the synagogue today versus the Christians we assume are in the story, and people, that is not anywhere near close to what we are looking at. Remember that every single person in this story is a part of the Jews, okay? The blind man's a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. The disciples are Jews. The Pharisees are Jews. Everybody in here is a Jew. So when we hear the Jews, we need to remember this is more of a stand-in for the cultural community leadership, that this is representing a whole people, if you will, the whole leadership of, of a people of which they are a part. So their own leadership is saying, uh, if you if you confess Jesus to be the Messiah, I don't think you can be a part of our community anymore. And it's interesting, this, this verse 22 that I'm looking at, um, first time that's referenced in this story, um, actually historians have, have used this line as, as gone back and researched, was this happening to John's community? And in fact, it was. They found some parts of the order of worship uh, that would include a, a kind of right of putting people out of the synagogue and, and what we would say maybe today is the equivalent of excommunicating them. So this was happening to the people that are hearing the story of the blind man. The people of John's community are being put out of the synagogue because they're following Jesus. So there's there's division in their own community, their own um, uh, gathering of folks, their neighbors, their religious leaders, We have the division, and we heard that earlier in the story, and now there's the risk of being put out of the synagogue, and in fact, that is happening. Uh, Let's take the next scene, and we're going to start with verse 24. So, for the second time, they, the Jews, the leadership, called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God! We know this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. And that's the end of our scene. So right there, we end with the threat we heard of um, at the previous scene with the parents. They're afraid of being put out of the synagogue. At the end of this scene, the blind man has been put out of the synagogue. And let's review why. If you look at verse 29, you get a very honest answer from the, from the Pharisees, the Jews, the leadership. Uh, we know that God has spoken to Moses. We're sure of that. 
But as for this man, we're, we're not so sure. We don't, we don't know where he comes from. We don't know if this is of God. It certainly doesn't fit into the way we expect God to work in the world and what we have been taught and what's been handed down to us. It doesn't fit from our perspective. However, that's been a theme throughout our play, and now the blind man is falling on the side of Jesus and saying, but here clearly I can see now, and I can see that if we look at our own religious teaching, we can uh, find elements where this may be true. We know that God does not listen to sinners, verse 31, but he does listen to one who worships him. So maybe God is working through this man, Jesus, he says. You know, this paragraph or this scene is really fascinating and very, very important in the drama of our play um, because we have the kind of epitome of the struggle here of sight. Uh, has less to do with the physical ability to see and more to do with are we recognizing God at work here specifically in Jesus Christ? Do we see that God being revealed in Jesus Christ and his mission and ministry. Um, and the Pharisees, the leadership, those who think they understand God, they're not seeing it, right? But the blind man is starting to see it right here. This is a turning point for him. I think it's interesting that at the beginning of his testimony in this scene, verse 25, he starts with his experience. I, I don't know the answer to this question, guys. What I know is, though I was blind, now I see. Yes, irrefutable, right? But it's something important about the fact that he begins with his experience, that he has had an experience that has left him so changed he cannot go back to the way he saw the world before. And I mean that literally, but I mean that in many and various other ways, right? He has had an experience that has so shaped him, he wants to keep telling people about it. They certainly want to hear. They want to keep asking him. And he gets more and more articulate with each commentary. And then from there, from the experience, he then goes and says, well, let's let's look at some of our actual teaching and, and maybe this lines up. You know, and then we get that verse 31 point. God does not listen to sinners. So maybe God is working through this man. Okay, um, I want to point out a literary device in John's Gospel that happens twice in this scene, and it's going to come back at the very end, and that's the use of irony in John's Gospel. Um, he loves irony. <laughs> he likes to use it at very key points. And so um, I think verse 33 is a, or yes, 34, I'm sorry, is a very good example. We have the man trying to testify to the leadership here, they're trying to um, say to him, well, this is what we know. This is the teaching we have handed down. And then he's trying to teach them a little bit. And um, they say in their mouths, they say, you were born entirely in sins, right? That captures that discussion we had at the beginning, the teaching that they have been handed down. He was born entirely in sins. And are you trying to teach us? And you read this, you hear this maybe in the play, and you think, yes, he just schooled you. <laughs> you know, yes, he is trying to teach you. Yes, in fact, you have become the students in this play, and he is now the teacher. Because not only is he using experience, but now he's going to tap into the religious tradition. Um, and that irony really is uh, a good device for pointing out what are some of the major important themes that come out of the stories or the characters. Um, let's read the next scene, 
And this is our final scene of the play. Remember that we opened our play with Jesus and the blind man on stage by themselves. Well, now we're going to close the play with Jesus and the blind man, although the Pharisees are going to overhear something and they're going to be kind of in the wings having a little conversation. So let's listen to that. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. And then the curtain falls on this little play in six scenes. Now, did you catch that line of irony uh, at the very end of the play? It's the line in the mouth of the Pharisees. Those who have been uh, really struggling to see if God is at work in Jesus, really struggling to recognize if God could be at work in a new way, if some of their systems and theories about how God operates in the world could be overturned. They say, surely we are not blind, are we? Um, anticipating, right, that Jesus will say, of course you're not blind, you're the leadership, you know the teachings, you're not blind. And in fact, you know, as you're watching the play unfold, you almost want to answer for Jesus directly and say, why, yes, yes, you are. That's kind of the point of the whole story is that sometimes those who think they can see God at work really are not seeing much. They're seeing, you know, uh, no more than past themselves. Um, and others who we think, you know, we've been walking past every day on our way to work, like the blind man or uh, those we think, quote unquote, were born entirely in sins or good for nothing, those we put out of the synagogue and shun, those people may have, in fact, the gift of sight, of seeing God's light in the world. So that's kind of a recap of um, the irony, at least in the gospel. And then in this last scene, we also get the last element of the blind man's healing. Remember I mentioned we have the anointing with mud, the washing in the water, He's able to see, but that's not the end of the healing. The healing is complete, in fact, in this last scene. And what is the last part? Anointing with mud, washing in water. What is this last part in this last scene? It's his confession. He says, Lord, I believe. You know, one of the most ancient confessions in the church in practice is Jesus Christ is Lord. That that would be one of the most ancient confessions and creeds. Um, and he says, Lord, I believe. So we have the connection to baptism right there as the play comes to a close. Why this passage is often choose to depict as early as the fourth century what it means to be baptized into Jesus Christ. It means that God seeks us out as Jesus sought out the blind man. He anoints us. He claims us. He marks us as God's own. He tells us to wash in the gift of water and baptism, um, washing in God's amazing grace, washing away uh, our past, uh, things we uh, want to let go of, uh, washing away 
all the baggage we carry around. I mean, there could be a long list there of things we wash away um, to bring us the gift of sight. And what is that gift but the ability to see the world through the lens that God has, right? Even a little bit, the ability to be able to see through that lens and in looking through that lens, see Jesus as Lord and confessing that faith. Um, So, you know, in our church tradition, we baptize infants. And I often get the question of why is that? Why do we baptize infants? You know, maybe I know someone, a cousin or something that was baptized as an older child or an adult because the first step to their baptism was confessing Jesus as Lord. And then when they could do that, they're allowed to be baptized. Well, this is a great story for interpreting why it is that baptism is seen purely as a gift of which we do no work. Um, It comes as a gift to us from outside of us. Jesus claims the blind man, marks him, tells him to wash. Um, And then because of that and because of the blind man's uh, growing testimony and confidence in this one, his growing sight in being able to see um, Jesus at work in the world, even through his own experience, he's able to then say, Lord, I believe, not first, but last. Something I want to leave you with for this week, really two things, um, is to think about um, the story uh, when you watch a play or a musical, you know, um, you are invited, as most art does, uh, you're invited to think critically about the world today. That's what uh, the gift of theater and art really is, um, a critique on the world today, a commentary, an invitation, or sometimes even a reflection of of the world today. And so if this is a play that's up on stage and John's community is watching it, um, they're invited to see themselves as the characters, right? Um, I think most readily they can see themselves as the blind man because he goes through this period of uh, trying to figure out what has happened to him. Was this really Jesus? Um, Make sense of it and words to speak it, especially in the face of opposition, And then he's put out of the synagogue. And this is, as we know, uh, some of the actual experiences of John's community in that time period. But I wonder if, as we put this play up on stage and read this passage in a church setting today in 2017, we are, as we are invited to take on a character, which character would that be? I think that we want to be the blind man, but I'm not sure that we always are. Um, And I'm not sure how much we're able to see if we might be another character and we might be having our own eyes open and we might be having moments where we say to ourselves, surely we are not blind, are we? And in fact, Jesus is trying to say to us, yes, yes, you are. I also wonder as we look at the play um, and we see the blind man being put out of the synagogue in today's world, who is that? Who is the person or group, uh, the people, the nation, the culture that we as the church have put out of the community that we have shut the door on because we don't want to listen to the way that they have experienced God because it doesn't fit with the way we understand God at work with the world. It doesn't fit with generations of our church teaching. It doesn't fit with that. It challenges it. 
and I wonder who those people are. I think one of the contemporary examples of of that as as a practice would be um, people who are LGBTQ identified and how over the centuries the church has passed down a tradition, a teaching, um, a way of, of God's work in the world that included that their lifestyle, their perspective, their identification was somehow wrong or sinful, etc. And that through experience, right, much like the blind man's own experience, through experience, both uh, the LGBTQ community's experience and other folks in the community and the church who have um, paid attention to that experience and been aware of it, through that experience, we have started to move in a different direction. We have gone back to look at some of those teachings and those Bible passages, see them in a new way with a different lens, um, and that has helped to move the church in a, in a new direction of teaching and practice. I think that's one of the most contemporary examples. But I wonder um, today, is it still that group that we put outside the, the church doors? Um, is it another group that has a different experience of God? Um, at work in the world that we are not ready to own up to, that it could be possible, who would that be? And along those same lines, who would that be um, in terms of at the end of the story, the end of the play, there's a moment there where the blind man is alone on stage all by himself, having gone through all those groups, even his parents, and they have walked away from him. They have left him alone. They have literally kicked him out. And he is all by himself. And Jesus, at the very end of our play, is the only one who goes and seeks him out and finds him and engages him in a conversation and reminds him that God is with him. He is not alone. God is with him. And I wonder as we look at this story then, who is that today that the world has kicked out, has deemed that they should be left alone. Um, maybe it's because, you know, we don't want to hear what they have to say on many, many levels because it causes us to look at ourselves and we don't want to do that. I think that's some of the Pharisees' problem in the story. Um, maybe those people today would be migrant workers. I mean, if, if we are going to kick them out, we're, we do that perhaps because we don't want to have to really take a long, hard look at how we treat them, what we expect them to do, uh, the wages we give them, and how that really makes us uh, hold up a mirror to our own uh, way of being and our own practices and ethics. Um, and I think the refugee community is being treated the same way. Here's a group that's literally been kicked out of their own country or uh, has no place left in their own country. All these people have walked away from them and could care less whether they live or die. Um, and how are we being like Jesus and going to seek them out, telling them that they matter, that God is with them? Um, how are we doing that? And maybe are we doing that? And are we doing that enough? So I challenge you this week to think through those tough topics uh, that this story brings up. And maybe there's someone even in your own life, in your own family or work group, um, your neighborhood, that is, when you are looking at it as a play up on stage, they are all alone right now. And they could really use 
someone to come and witness to them in a way that says God has not forgotten them and that God is with them. And could you be that person this week? Thanks for listening. And next time we will take up the story of the raising of Lazarus from John chapter 11. To find out more about our church and what we're up to, visit us on the web at gracecamphill.org. Thank you.